Around uh, 35 AD, Paul and Silas were traveling through what is now modern-day Turkey. However, in Acts 16, we are told that the Holy Spirit stopped the two from traveling any further and preaching in Asia. And being obedient to the Holy Spirit, they turned around and headed back towards the coast. And they finally came to a place called Troas. And there Paul had no idea what to do. So he prayed. And that night he had a vision where a man was calling he and Silas to Macedonia, which is now modern day Greece. So the following day, Paul and Silas started a journey of around 100 miles along the coast. Now, for those of you who know this area of the world, this doesn't really sound like too bad a gig as the coastline there is lovely and the food is delicious. However, where the gospel is preached, strife usually followed. And in Philippi, they converted a woman named Lydia, uh, but then encountered a very loud fortune teller who kept on following Paul and Silas around and shouting for days that these men knew the true God. And this went on and on. And the Bible said that Paul got so irritated with the woman that he commanded an evil spirit to leave her. But because the woman could tell fortunes through the spirit, those that were making money from her were less than happy. Those people rioted. Paul and Silas ended up in prison, but then they were miraculously freed. They went back to Lydia's house. They encouraged the church and then Lydia encouraged them to leave. All in a day's work. And it was this context where Paul and Silas then went to Thessalonica. And even though they probably still had wounds from their time in Philippi, such was their desire and passion for the gospel that they went to the synagogue to preach the good news. And the Bible here says that while they were there for just three weeks, they impacted the church amazingly. Not only were, um, uh, not only were a few Jews converted, but many God-fearing Greeks and prominent women became Christians. And then Paul and Silas left. Two years later, Paul sends a letter to the Thessalonians. And it is this opening verse, or these few opening verses of this letter, to his beloved church in Thessalonica that we're going to look at today. So why are these opening verses relevant for today? Well, we are week two into this month of prayer, and I thought it good to examine Paul's thoughts on praying and also Paul's thoughts on sharing the gospel. So let's jump in and unpack these verses. Um, and so I'd like to talk about these two things. Prayer, and specifically prayer for the church, and also sharing the gospel. Two key things. But before we do jump into these two key points, I, I do want to bring up a question that I think is important uh, to ask when we approach Paul's letters. 
You know, we're told in Acts that Paul was in um, Thessalonica for only three Sabbaths. So we can assume that he was there for just three weeks. And this is the question. How do you think the church could establish and start to function in just three weeks? How do you think the church can begin and function in just three weeks? Well, I think there are many things that contribute to this, and not least the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit, powerfully moulding and changing and shaping these people radically. But the key point I want to make here is that Paul also had a very simple model that he referred to many times in his letters, and it was this. To lead by example and expect those around them to be imitators of his behaviour and outlook, just as he imitated the Lord. To lead by example and expect those around them to be imitators of his behaviour and outlook, as the same as Jesus. In verse 6 of this section of scriptures, Paul says, you became imitators. It's certainly not the only verse in the New Testament where he talks about being imitators. I believe there are seven verses in the New Testament where Paul speaks about imitating. So when we read these letters, we need to look at them as instructions from Paul, as an apostle and as a man of authority in the church. His expectation of us as readers of these letters is not to read it like a letter from a distant relative. He wrote it with the expectation that we be imitators of him and of our Lord and imitators of their behaviours. This is important because these letters are not just a hello and how are you. They're instructions for us as individuals and also for us as a church. A side point on be imitators. So let's jump into this first part about prayer. Prayer and prayer for the church. Paul had had his massive passion for the church at Thessalonica. He he clearly loved it and cherished it. In chapter 2, he writes this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So before we look at this point around prayer for the church let's just spend a few moments looking at what our relationship with the church is remember Paul and Timothy at different points urged Christians to be imitators of them just as we imitate Jesus Christ so like Paul and Timothy do we love God's church like a mother loves a baby as described here. Do we love God's church like a mother loves a baby, as described? Those of us who are parents know that with children we need to take the rough moments with the smooth. 
With new babies and teenagers particularly, it feels we just need to keep giving, even though we may not get much thanks. Or we feel there is just nothing more we can give. There are great moments and there are dark moments, particularly in Sawbridgeworth at the moment with the mock results coming out. There are arguments, there's laughter. However, if we are to be imitators of people like Paul, then even through those difficult moments, we need to come back and keep loving this church like a mother loves her baby. And if we do this, then how should we love the church? How should we love this church? Well, you know, there's lots of ways, but I do believe all of us, without exception, should be praying for the church and showing love through prayer. Why? Because Paul says this in Thessalonians. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's not that Paul gives us any specific instructions on prayer, but if we are to be imitators of Paul and Jesus, then our prayer for church should happen on, I think, a daily basis. Giving thanks for God's church. Praying for the work that happens through God's church. And the prayer should not be for the select in the church, for the leaders, for Gary, for those you know, we pray for all. Paul says we thank God for all of you. We should pray for all, from the youngest to the oldest, but also those who are not here, through sickness. And actually, I also believe we really need to be praying for our prodigals. So prodigals are those who have drifted away from the church, but are still loved. And if we are to pray for the church, like Paul did, then here might be a few practical solutions or suggestions that may help in giving thanks and praying for the church more regularly. Number one, come to the prayer sessions that are being held here on a daily basis throughout this month. Give time up and pray for the church with others. Number two, Start thanking God for this church. You know, I, I work in, in IT and people never call me to tell me they're having an amazing day with their PC. <laughs> they, they absolutely will be leaping on my head if they think their PC is running with a slight limp. And I think it's the same for the church. You know, we all find it easy to complain about the things that we don't like about the place. We may talk to each other about it. We may even use our prayer time to focus in and pray for those things that we want to see changed. But I think there's a danger that too much focus on what we think is wrong can make us feel very negative about a place. Conversely, Give thanks and encouragement for people and activities that we are doing to further God's kingdom, 
lifts and blesses every single one of us. Tell people, go up to them, tell them you're praying for them, for their work. Encourage them. Even if you may actually do things slightly differently if you were in that role. Start thanking God for his church. And number three, finally, get involved with people. Get involved with people. You know, go to a connect group, prayer tripler, or, or even just a couple. Get together, disciple each other, encourage each other. And you know, whilst these things aren't specifically about prayer, my experience is that this is kind of people versus paper. Personally, I find it easier to pray about things that I'm personally involved with rather than something I receive on paper or the dreaded email. Doing life together deepens relationships and God blesses, I believe, people in those situations. And I believe if you're doing life together, my personal experience is, is that it will make life or make it easier to pray for the church. Pray for the church on a daily basis. Give thanks for it and get involved in it, just like Paul did. This, I believe, is how we should be approaching prayer in and for the church. Do you know, again, I'm going to go off on a bit of a side point here. And um, here I am talking about prayer for the church. But um, I think some of us really struggle with prayer. And I stand here and confess that I'm an absolute baby when it comes to prayer. And if you are struggling with this, and be encouraged, first and foremost, be encouraged that you're not alone. However, your prayer life is, I believe, a personal choice, not a corporate one. You've got to make a decision about prayer. And there are so many books out there. If you feel like a baby in this area, if you feel like you need a fresh view on prayer, then I really encourage you to read this book, which is shown up here, A Year of Living Prayerfully. I have my copy here. And it's a wonderful story of a young married couple working out how to pray by traveling to different prayer centers around the world. It's funny, it's simple, it's a very easy read. But most importantly, its message is wonderful and uplifting, and I'm sure you'll be blessed by it. If any of you want a copy, then please let me know. I'll be absolutely delighted to buy you a copy, as long as you promise me you'll read it. Next point, share, sharing the gospel. Let's read verses four and six. It says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
There's so much in this, but I think there's three key bits that I'd like to um, lift up from these um, verses. I think there's something to be said about words. I think there's something to be said about power and the Holy Spirit. And I actually think there's something to say about living life outside of this church as well. And I'm going to cover words first. Words. You know, whilst we can show, whilst we can show the gospel through our actions, through kindness, love for others, love of our neighbours, we need to be very careful that we never forget that the gospel is shared through words. The gospel is shared through words. And the question I've got for you is, how well do you know the gospel message? Can you tell it in your own words? When I was first a Christian, I learned how to do this. Um, it was kind of like a, 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 an, eight, an eight scribble um, diagram called two ways, to, two ways to Live. And it's a wonderful two-minute description of the gospel, but I've learned it to heart. And I've learned how to do it in my way. Do you know the gospel message? If not, learn it. Learn it using a language that is comfortable to you and also comfortable to those who'll be speaking it to. Now, as a Christian, the ability to speak the gospel is a really, really critical piece of armory in God's kingdom. We need to always be ready to talk the gospel message, I believe. And also, what about our testimonies? I was really struck a, a few months ago in Brazil when I was just amazingly blessed to visit the Logos, that great iconic ship that sails the world telling the gospel. Every single person I met on that boat had a testimony, their story about God had moved in their life. And it wasn't these kind of like 20 minute things. They could dip in and out of that story. Can you tell your testimony, your story about how God has worked in your life? People want to hear testimonies. Know the gospel. Be able to tell your story about how God has worked in your life. Always be ready to speak the gospel message. Next part, Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So the message did not just come with words, but also with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is awesome. I, I know that sounds like such a lazy sentence, but in this context, I make no apologies for it. I believe the Holy Spirit is awesome. Because when we became a Christian, or when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us. It changes us, it molds us, it shapes us. Do we believe it though? Do we feel convicted to share the gospel? Let's go back to the context of when Paul came into Thessalonica. Paul was on his way into Asia when he was stopped by the Holy Spirit and told to go the other way. He then reached the coast, could go no further, and so stopped and prayed and waited. 
You know, if we are to be imitators of people like Paul and Jesus, let's ask the question of ourselves, how do we approach the sharing of God's message? Do you feel convicted by the fact that people around us are facing a life without a peace that goes beyond all understanding, a certainty of eternal life, of a relationship between a person and their maker that can never be restored except through the gospel. Paul, Jesus, they were so convicted that it shaped their life, their very being. And for Paul, it even led even the footsteps that he took. You know, if we are serious about God's plans for our lives, if we declare him as king of our lives, then his plan is not something that is just added on to our plans for our lives. It's his plan only. I believe we all need to come to God on a regular basis and ask, just as Paul almost certainly did on a daily basis, Father, what are your plans for me? Help me to live them. Use me to further your gospel. And I believe the Holy Spirit will bless and honour that kind of prayer. The message came through deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. Next point. They lived their lives amongst the people they wanted to share their gospel with. Do you know, I was speaking to Gary um, about Alpha a few months ago. And we were talking about what the triggers for people to come to Alpha are. And whilst people um, have filled in cards about coming to Alpha after church events, we could think of only one person, yes, they're sitting here today, so I won't mention them, who has come off the street, unknown to us as a church, and started their walk with God. One person out of all of us. Nearly all of us are here today in this building because of a relationship with someone who was here before. And if we're serious about sharing the gospel, we need to share the gospel with those who don't know the gospel outside of us. And I think the practical point I'm trying to make here is live life outside of the church, make friends outside of the church, build relationships up with people and be honest about your faith with them. Again, I believe in practical I believe in the practical, and these are some practical ways where you can share with the gospel. First of all, it, the first key thing is about honesty. I, I think this is the first and easiest step that all of us can take. Answer honestly the question that is asked across nearly all offices and workplaces on a Monday morning. That question is, how was your weekend? Tell them you went to church and see what happens. Don't be heavy about it. Just say, I went to church. They may ask you a question, they may not. God will bless that situation. He's in control. Point two, have an open door and a hot phone. 
And for those who have teenagers, you will love this. It's good to text. But I actually do think it's better to talk. You know, keep talking to those outside of the church. And I believe this is especially important for those who are going through difficult times and may not actually be much fun to be around. Keep your door open. I'm going to really embarrass her here, but it is an important point to make. My beloved Zoe is amazing at this. She has an open door policy. And the amount of times I'm working at home, I'm upstairs, I come in, and there are people just sitting, having a cup of tea with her. It leaves me open-mouthed, actually. It's certainly that she's not busy, she's not tired. She just has a tremendous heart for others. Live the life, live your life amongst the people that you believe you want to share the gospel with. Share the gospel even through the tough times. Sharing the gospel even through the tough times. How did Paul say the Thessalonians reacted to this message? He said in verse 6 that the people accepted the message with joy despite their struggles. The people accepted the message with joy despite their struggles. So what can we take from this? In, in times of trouble and darkness, I believe The gospel of Jesus Christ seems to shine all the more brightly. In times of trouble, the gospel of Jesus Christ seems to shine all the more brightly. And so if we know people who are low, in pain, overwhelmed, sick, worried, I encourage you to do two things. First of all, one, build that relationship. Pray for them. Perhaps pray with them. Why? Well, because just like the angels who lit up the night when they appeared to the shepherds and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, you also may be proclaiming the best news these people have ever, ever heard in their darkness. You may be proclaiming the best news these people have ever heard in their darkness. Paul did it to the Thessalonians and they received the message with great joy despite their affliction. You know, the Holy Spirit is awesome, isn't it? I said that earlier. And I'm going to be even more lazy and say that the gospel is awesome too. It's the best message that you could ever, ever give someone. A message of unconditional love of eternal life, of relationships perfectly restored. There's not one person in the world, I believe, who would not find a message like that appealing. Share the message even through tough times. So how to finish, how to bring this point about praying and praying for the church and sharing together. How to finish. Well, I'm going to use some pictures here. And this is the first picture. Imagine a picture of a glove and a hand. You know, a glove has two key purposes, doesn't it? It protects the hand and it keeps it warm. 
And I believe this is what prayer does for the church. It protects us as a church. It keeps us warm. But why in a church is warmth and protection important? Well, the church needs protection because we are in a spiritual war. And we will get attacked. We need protection. And the church needs to be warm because that spiritual warmth is where people will spiritually grow and where people who are outside of the church in the cold will want to be. Prayer is the glove that has the role to protect and keep the church warm. The role of prayer is like a glove to the hand. It protects the church. It keeps it warm. But what is the role of prayer in the sharing of the gospel? Where's this connection? Do you know, I believe there are multiple answers to this, but I just want to focus on the effect of prayer. I just want to focus on the effect of prayer. And again, I can only speak from personal experience, but I think... This is because prayer, and I'm not talking about arrow prayers, dear God, please be with someone because I've got a bad back. We're talking about prayers where, first of all, I believe your phone is in a different room, where you're alone with no distractions, where your heart is open to do what God wants to do with it, where you're spending time in the presence of your saviour, where we're allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us, where we are on our knees and asking humbly, God, what are your plans for me? That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. This type of prayer, I believe, has this uncanny and amazing effect of bending our wills to God's. And that's where I believe the sharing bit comes in. You see... I believe people who pray are changed to do what God wants them to do. And what God wants us all to do is to share the gospel. Why? Because it's in the Bible. God, Jesus told us to. We have the role to share the best news to all corners of the world. And he said this in the Great Commission just before he went to heaven. And I believe we come to God in prayer and the hunger and the desire to share the gospel will come. I believe we come to God in prayer and the hunger, the desire to share that gospel will come. And this is my final point. Where do we go from here? Do you know... Gary last week gave us an image last week and I just want to repeat because I think it's in repetition is good for one thing and I think it's um, relevant to this and the picture that Gary gave and I repeat is this we draw a circle we stand inside that circle and ask God to revive everything within that circle we ask God to revive everything within that circle you see Revival isn't about having loads of people coming through the church. It's not that at all. It starts with us taking steps to ask God to renew our passion for him. It starts with us asking God to forgive 
It involves a standing or sitting or kneeling or even lying in the presence of the lover of our souls. It starts with us as individuals coming to God in prayer. And I believe once we start this prayer, sorry, it, it starts with us as individuals coming to God in prayer. And, you know, once I believe we start this prayer, start praying for the church, give thanks for it. And then perhaps just sit in silence and see how the Father responds. Ask God to bend your will to his. I stand here with absolute confidence and say he will do this. But what is God's will? Well, he has plans for all of us. He loves us all as individuals. But one thing I believe he has in common like Paul did to the Thessalonians, he wants us to be heralding the amazing gospel message to Sawbridgeworth, to the surrounding areas, and to the ends of the earth. God bless you. Let me pray, and then we'll go into our final song. Father God, you know, thank you for this church and the way we have seen your kingdom grow here in Sawbridgeworth you know father I pray I pray that some of these words may have landed on soft hearts and that people will come to you and father humbly ask like Paul did to revive them none of us here father believe that there's anything sweeter than being in your presence father use us all for your kingdom and for your gospel message in your name amen God bless you.